Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today I'm so excited and privileged. We've been trying to arrange this for a really long time, but finally our stars have aligned. I've got Gosha Gorna with me today. She is an international speaker, a transformational coach, and I've been to some of her talks. I know how transformational they can be. Um, and a best-selling author of the book, The Expansion Game. Thank you so much for being with us, Gosha. There it is. Yay. <laughs> um, uh, fill in the blanks for, for our listeners. Tell us a bit about the book and about what you're doing at the moment within your, your life and your work. Oh, what, what am I doing? I'm doing a lot. Now, um, but first of all, let me introduce you Please. to my beautiful purple baby. <laughs> I've published this book last year, and it's called The Expansion Game, a powerful method to transform your fear into brilliance. So it's all about uh, transforming pain, challenges, and fear into something amazing. And in fact, my... You know, my intention is that whoever reads this book, they will take the biggest fear that they have and they turn it into success. <laughs> so, so fear is okay, is what you're saying. It's like what, learning to do something with it. Yes, and, and by, by I have to say that it's not any kind of fear. I particularly work with fears which are expansive fears, fears like um, not being good enough, fear of failure, fear of being judged, criticized feed of going to the next level yeah next stage like you going from podcast to video <laughs> video yes exactly exactly being more visible so those are the fears which i love working with i i don't particularly um claim that this this technique can help people with let's say like really 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 powerful fears which are more like um based in trauma or um or panic attacks then we need different types of uh, support. But fears that we all have every single day, every single one of us, fear of not being good enough, fear of failure, fear of being judged, those fears I definitely think we need to learn from uh, and we need to know how to play with them. So then we become who we're really meant to be rather than hiding. So so that's why I, that's why I wrote the book. Um, actually, the story of why I wrote the book, maybe I can tell you later, but uh, this is my intention for now. And as you said, I'm a transformational coach. Now, what does that mean? I actually help people to transform into what they're meant to be, really. You know, like we all come here with a specific gift, talent, um, a job that we need to sort of do on this planet and sometimes we hide, we procrastinate, we, we avoid things, but I'm actually here to, to help people to do it confidently and shine brightly. So essentially, I mostly work with change makers, leaders and um, coaches, writers, speakers, charity um, miracle makers right so people who but, are already having some kind of impact in the world and some right. of their fears are maybe making them hit the glass ceiling or or not go as far as they possibly could absolutely absolutely and sometimes uh some of the, my clients uh they, they they've been working they've been employed for years but deep 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 inside they really want to do something else and they don't feel satisfied um, so they they basically frustrated because they're not fulfilling their the gifts and talents. So those are my my favorite um, uh, people that I work with. But uh, how do I work with them? I work one to one. I run courses, and my currently my most uh, favorite uh, way of working with people is master classes, where I bring few people together. 
So let's say six to ten change makers in one room. And there is additionally to my techniques and my knowledge and my skills, uh, then there is the power of the group. The transformational effect of people coming together in, in the same room is just mind-blowing. So I travel around England and abroad. And in fact, I get invited to different places and I arrive, we do a powerful day of um, uh, expansion work and then I go somewhere else. So I'm combining work and traveling as I always wanted. So amazing. And, and I say this remembering the first time I, I saw you speak at one of the Aspire events a, a, a few years ago. And just your energy within the space holding that massive group, and that was hundreds of people, um, as well as your energy in holding the one-to-one conversations afterwards. Really, I could see the intention that you really want that person to find their best self and to find the thing that's going to make them shine. Like that just kind of comes through your pores and your body and, and how you show up as a, as a person. And I, I admire that so much about you. And you do actually exactly the same. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that's what I admire about you too. I appreciate that. Ooh, so we're going to get all gushy here and just uh, admire <laughs> each other for a while. I appreciate it. Um, but what's really interesting to me and the reason for the podcast, I guess, is because there's steps that have happened within our lives that have brought us to this place where we can bring this energy to people. I know that 12 years ago, this was not the energy that I was bringing to groups or to individuals. I was very self-focused. I was quite depressed. It felt like the world was against me, um, that I would never ever, like, I didn't even quite know what the dream was. I had little seeds of it, but I certainly didn't think I'd be able to live the life that I'm, I'm living at the moment, which is working for myself and doing so many different exciting kind of projects. And I know you've got a, a story as well. It's led you to, to this point of success. So um, give us a little bit of context. Uh, how were you raised? What was your childhood like? Um, do you think your, your parents or the education system like prepared you for what life in the adult world was going to be like? Oh, very interesting question. Well, so let me just tell you a little bit about my the, the adversity side of my life, right? Please. So um, <clears throat> I had uh, an amazing mother. I still have an amazing mother. She is very wise and very loving, very supportive. And then I had a father who, who is no longer with us, who was extremely, um, he had an extremely tough life. He came from a very poor family. There was like 10 children, very, very tough life. And, um, you know, in families like that, the people actually try to survive. There is not much space for love and conversation and support. So he was raised in a very tough life. And and subsequently, he, many, many challenging things have happened to, to him, which he then felt like he was a, a failure and he was a victim. And um, so at some point in his life, basically, he turned to alcohol. Now, my father didn't drink all the time, I have to say, but when he drank, he really drank. <laughs> and then what happened was essentially that uh, he would drink for a few days. Mm-hmm. And for those days, there was no life as, as I know it now. 
So everything was actually dictated around his mood, the you know how how angry he was, what time he went to sleep, and typically when he was drinking, he would go to sleep around three o'clock in the morning, and so till then they would be quite noisy and shouty and, and dangerous, and and I would never sleep till yeah. three or four o'clock in the morning, and so what I did in those days, I would either cry, I would be very angry, I would you know wish he was dead, and. Um, even uh, I have to, I, I'm saying this now with a smile almost because it was a very challenging time, but um, it showed actually the power of, of, um, of my spirit and my brother's spirit. Actually, it was one specific day when my brother came to my room at night. And uh, when my, my, my mom thought that we'd probably asleep, obviously we're not asleep, you know, we were worried about her. And my brother came to the room and he said, you know, I think we, I've decided we need to kill him. And um, and I said to, to him, I think it's a very good idea. How are you planning to do so? Right? So maybe I was about 12 years old or something like that. And um, my brother was a, a genius when he came to chemistry. Right? So he said, uh, he told me how he's going to do it. And nobody will know because we go into his you know, glass. Yeah. He'll get drunk and die of heart attack. So that was all planned. Okay. It's actually planned. Yeah, it, there was there was there was a sort of like a, a very strong intention, and yeah. finally I had a sort of feeling of relief. There is some sort of solution to our situation. Because you would be um, quite helpless as a child. Yeah, but a lot of it was mostly to do with me worrying about my mom mm -hmm. and not being able to have a normal life. And I remember being quite depressed and irritable. And it was a, it was a, and it wasn't always like that, by the way, because he also had a great sense of humor and he worked hard and he was quite a, quite a fun, fun man when, when at times. But when it was bad, it was really bad. Sure. And so finally, my brother then was involved in solidarity movement. He was publishing illegal material and he went to prison. And um, which obviously I don't say in my book, right? <laughs> and but he, he then he was uh, he, he was away, you know, he was in prison. And th those are the times when my, my parents were really really worried that may never see him again because political um, people sometimes were killed in the family. And he was very young, so maybe that you know they expected that nothing bad will happen to him, but still my parents were very worried. And when he came back from prison, he said to me, I have read a Bhagavad Gita, which is a, um, you know, a very old Indian scripture, you know, Sanskrit scripture. And he, he said, I, I think we cannot kill our father. Oh, I got the shivers then, yeah. And I said, why? Why are you changing the plan now? Are you crazy? And he said, no, it's very bad karma. And um, and I said, well, fine, then I'll kill myself. And he <laughs> said, like, I didn't read the book. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, he, and he said, no, no, actually, it's even worse. It's very bad. And he, you know, he went on to explain why it should, I should not do that. And so finally, well, he, he convinced me that I cannot kill him, I cannot kill myself. I said, so what do I do? And he says, I don't know yet. <laughs> he said, I need to find out. But I think it would be best to forgive him and move on. Whoa. That's a big shift, though. 
Yes, and so so and that was also the age when he came back that he suggested that we turn into you know become vegetarian we become vegetarians vegans, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of changes around the time when I was 13. I learned how to meditate and um, I started having very strong intuitive uh, information. And when my father was drunk, now you know instead of wishing that he was dead, I would go sit outside. In, in a in a garden or on the um, doorstep, and I would write, 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 write. And I remember in those days, I almost felt like some energy was flowing through me, almost like I was channeling, right? Mm, yes. So I was asking questions, and answers were coming through me, like, don't worry, you know, you will live abroad, you will speak English. So all those sort of predictive things started coming into my mind, which most of all have actually happened. Amazing. And so, so those are the beginning of my of my life. But you see, I later on discovered and I realized that if it wasn't for my father, I would have never chosen the path I've chosen. And I, I really wanted to understand why would somebody, some, someone be so cruel, so angry, so furious. My father had those huge outbursts of anger where he would he couldn't find something in 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 the in, on the shelf and he would break the shelf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just completely go into total destruction. And um, so I tried to understand why why people get so angry. Yes, and I started reading psychological books. Since, since then, since I was a teenager. And you see, I've chosen my path because of my father. And it was not because of my mom, who was loving and understanding and sweet and lovely and very motherly. It was because of my father. Yeah? Which is, I want to pause you, because that's really a profound thing to say. Because the idea for many people is that if you have that loving, uh, kind, supportive, sort of perfect home in that sense, that that is the best uh, sort of foundation for living to your full potential, um, which I don't believe with the hundreds of conversations that I've been having. And, and what you're saying is that it was actually the adversity that you experienced at home that forced you to be resourceful or to almost think in a different way about who you could be to solve, solve a problem in the world or, or create some kind of impact. Is that something like that? Yes, in fact, you know, as you know, I work mostly with change makers and uh, very impactful people, and I would say 99% of them had very difficult lives. And um, and I'm not actually saying it's good or bad, you know, sure. some of them had nice lives, but, but very few of them. And um, so, you know, it's funny, uh, I, I think I, I'm going to say something controversial now. Um, I think we, if it's true that we choose our lives, Right before we come to this planet, uh, sometimes maybe we we learn um, that it's necessary to choose specific father or mother or both for us to learn something very quickly um, to to accomplish something. And I have learned very early on when I was young that I am extremely resourceful, that I need to depend on myself, that I need to be very creative, and I need to take care of myself first. Um, and I've learned that people behave very strangely, even though they love each other. So, so it's, it taught me compassion, actually. So you learned some compassion through observing the role yeah. that your parents took in your life. Um, yeah. Yeah? Um, yeah. 
And then where did that lead to? So you're a teenager reading some sort of psychology books, you're meditating here and there. Your brother sounds fascinating that he learned some of that stuff in prison. Um, but how did that then move you forward and what other adversity maybe showed up? Well, <laughs> so so here I'm, I'm going to give you, there's a lot of adversities, but I'm going to give you two, yeah. which actually propelled me like um, catapult forward into my be- be- best possible life. So, um, so this uh, sort of learning continued and the difficulties with my father continued till I left home. That has never changed. The only thing that changed was my attitude to it. So I became a little bit more compassionate, but I still felt I wish I could leave as soon as possible. But I wanted to look after my mom and I wanted to make sure that she's fine. And then I fell in love. And um, I, my, did you read my book, by the way, Petra? I did not, know. Yeah, so, so some of it is there, not all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so then I fell in love and this, this man, this young man, he was everything I've ever always wanted. He was the the ideal kind of uh, man I could ask for. He was very handsome. He was very intelligent, very sensitive, very spiritual, very handsome, absolutely amazing man. Yeah. And then um, we went on holiday together in the summer, and we were together for a few years. So, so even though I met him when I was about 17, and then roughly when I was about maybe 20 or something, we went on a holiday. And while we were there, it was one of those new age sort of places, lots of people singing, dancing, playing guitar, you know. Yeah. And he fell in love with, with another woman right in front of me. And she indeed was, she was like pretty like you, blonde hair, long fingers. She played piano and she didn't swear like me. <laughs> I swear, so I'm not like her. <laughs> oh my goodness. And um, that was heartbreaking for me. But I thought to myself, you know, then when I was that age, I was thinking to myself, I'm not surprised she's such a different person to me. And she was so feminine. And I played football and I was quite, I was quite more, like, I was more like a man than, than, than a woman yeah. in some some ways. So I understood that it's understandable. He, he fell in love with her. So I was already compassionate about that. But, but then you can hold two emotions at once, right? So you can feel compassionate yeah, yes. and fucked off. <laughs> yes, I was very angry. I was yes. very hurt. But I, I was quite quite compassionate and quite understanding. I, I was thinking to myself, well, if I was a man, I would fall, fall, I would fall in love with her too. You know, it's quite, she was very pretty. And anyway, so what happened was then we left um, and he told me, oh, it's just a summer sort of infatuation, nothing, uh, nothing special. And we went back to our normal life. And um, so that was summer. And then sometime around January or something, I discovered that he had a relationship with her all along. And every time I thought he was going to work or on a trip, he was actually going to see her. Mm. And I found the letter that he that she sent to him. When are you going to tell her? And, you know, and, um, and I was devastated. And I remember my life collapsed because we've planned our life together. We chose the name of our child. Yeah, yeah. We were going to get married, and uh, I was totally and absolutely in love with him. And um, and other than that, I, everything was just perfect, right? So I, I, we didn't live together. We, we kept on seeing each other regularly, but um, I didn't know he was um, a compulsive liar. And so, uh, and then he, he went on for a few months, and then he told me later that uh, he loves us both, and he needs some time to decide. 
and I was convinced he will choose me. And he came that on a specific day. Uh, I was finishing. I was doing an exam in my school. He he came with a bunch of flowers, um, and I was convinced he ch- he's going to choose me, but he chose her. And I was I stopped eating. I couldn't sleep, and I. I became so thin, which was actually quite great because I was a little bit overweight. <laughs> so I lost weight. I looked great, right? And then I turned into affirmations. Immediately, I started reading how to boost your co- how to boost your uh, confidence as a right. woman. And I remember I was uh, recording those affirmations for myself, and I was listening to to, to them on those on a Walkman, you know, on those tapes. Yeah. I was walking around was more than twenty years ago, and, and and the things I was saying to myself: I'm lovable, I'm beautiful, I deserve love. I, you know, so all those things that I didn't know existed. All those affirmations. I started using and even though I was heartbroken I started slowly slowly feeling like I am actually okay I'm not too ugly I'm not too fat so I started accepting myself as a woman so that was and men immediately reacted they, it was just almost instantaneous and I was thinking holy shit <laughs> so quick I didn't change my clothes I didn't change anything just started thinking differently and I started feeling better and then I, I left and I came to England okay so, so, so was that the catapult that it just put you into a whole different place yeah Petra I still till this day I feel so grateful to him because if it wasn't for him I wouldn't have had the life that I have right now I feel so grateful every single day that I live where I am, you know, I do the job I do. And coming to England have opened completely new doors to me, new opportunities and people and resources and uh, things that I, I would have never experienced in Poland if I've stayed there. And um, so so that was the, that was the, uh, the second uh, catapult. Yeah? Yeah. Um. And I'm just remembering what you said, your controversial statement of if we choose the life that, that, that we have, you know, did, did we choose all of these sort of aspects in order to train us up quickly, in order to create the impact that we want? And while I sort of agree, so like there's a part of me that goes, yes, that feels true. And it feels like all the stuff that's happened in my life has gotten me to this point. But at the same time, I'm like, why would anyone choose to be raised in a religious cult why would anyone choose to have alcohol addiction? Because that's sort of some of my sort of adversity and experience. Um, why would my kids choose to be my children when it was with them? Like they were part of my catalyst, right? When it was with them that um, uh, I was at the worst point in my life. And that's an experience that's now affecting them, you know? But at the same time, I have this amazing trust now because I've seen the process that, that I've been through that they also are building their character, their resourcefulness, the, the things that they, and it's a really different way to parent um, because it's less like, oh no, let me protect them from everything and show them that I love, that I love them in such a almost controlling way yes. in order to not repeat a pattern, right? Um, and actually allow them to flourish within the life that, they, hey, they may have chosen for themselves, right? My goodness. And, and do you know uh, a gentleman by the name of John Di Martini? I'm not sure. 
Yeah, so um, that was a very powerful experience for me to meet him and go on his course. It's called the Breakthrough Experience. And basically, he takes any, he can take anybody from any background with the biggest possible pain. Being raped, losing a child, losing a relationship, losing a family member, being beaten up, all sorts of real big, you know, big, big, incredible things. And he basically takes you through an, um, an exercise where you turn it into your biggest blessing. Okay, so I have done this with my father already before I went to John's course, but he takes people through all sorts of different things, and some of them are very controversial. Um, and, uh, and what basically he's proving is that everybody, to grow, they need some challenge and some support. Yeah. If there's too much support, you don't build muscles. Like, if you never exercise, you can only almost have no energy to walk, Right. Like if you only only lay on the bed, yeah. right? Yeah. You wouldn't be able to walk. No. So you need a lot of challenge, yeah, and effort to 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 to, um, to grow in life. But also you need some support in those challenges Absolutely. to to relax and to be peaceful and to know you're safe. And um, he also talks about it in relationships that if someone is too sweet, too lovely, like like a, like a mother. She's too sweet, too lovely, too gentle, too fantastic. The ch child doesn't have enough, you know, gumption to, yes. to stand up for themselves. And um, so there needs to be someone to balance it out. And if it's, not a if it's not a father, it needs to be a grandfather, grandmother, or a teacher, you know, someone who will come and challenge them. But very it's interesting. Necessary. Yeah, it's, it's the, the balance that's the most useful for the most resilient individuals. Um, when when that when that, all of that happened, uh, and your your ex sort of chose the other woman, and you had this period of, of sort of being down, and then you went into this affirmations thing. I'm just like, what was that middle bit where you're completely destroyed? Uh, did you ask anyone for help, or was this always an internal process of like reading a book and just sort of knowing that you needed to build your confidence in some way? Well, this is a very good question. Are you asking me, did I have a, some form of a uh, therapist or a, co or a coach, right? It could even be a friend. It could be someone that you might have been open with about what was going on. Oh, this is a very good question. So I've always been very lucky to have incredible friends. Okay. Always. And I've always taken care of this. And so in my life, friends were almost as important as family. And um, so I've always had friends. I've never really went to see a therapist per se, um, but I have had a lot of support. I've been to many courses. I've read many books. And so I've immediately started working on myself almost as soon as I arrived to this country. So, um, so I was surrounded by very wise people. So, um, so I can, and I spend more time and money than anybody I know on personal development, right? So I've constantly gone from one course to another, and I trained myself mm. to be able to help other people. But in many of those courses, in order to help other people, you have to work on yourself. Oh, my so, God. They don't tell you that at the beginning, though, do they? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I want to be a coach. And then you cry for five weekends or something because it's so intense. <laughs> Correct. So, yes, yeah, so in all of those courses, I've had to spend hours and hours and hours on being coached and, and, and transformed. 
So, so along the way, just having that awareness and looking for ways to develop yourself, you've, you've learned the tools, which is kind of one of the best ways. I guess often what I hear on, on the podcast is when people have their rock bottom, rock, rock bottom moments or, or crashes, they're quite ashamed of how they feel or of what's happened to them. So they kind of isolate and take a step back and don't want to talk about it or tell anyone until they're kind of through it. But it sort of seems that that means they stay in that maybe low place a lot longer than they, they needed to. But it sounds like with your friends, maybe you were able to avoid some of that. Do you know, it's actually quite interesting. There's two things that I want to say. I tend to do the same. Right. Uh, when I'm really, really in the dumps and it's very, very challenging, I tend to go inside and meditate and walk and pray. And I tend to not immediately go and ask for help. But uh, quite soon, yeah? yeah. And and the reason being is that I have learned that if I uh, if I immediately go and I go look, the, you know what he's done? He's done this and this and this and this. We sort of like vomit all of all over the other person. While really, I have learned it's best to take the the first few moments, the first few days or hours to um, to really. Um, process what's happened and to understand it as best as, as possible yourself myself because I'm speaking for myself and and then when I make some sort of sense I go and I speak to to my friends not always not always because if something really 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 shocking happens like calling did you know what he's done I can't believe this yeah. so of course you know being female but um I think it's, it's very important to have a system for transmuting and transforming some challenging situations without giving the responsibility to other people to sort it out and make it better to us or to try to escape from the pain. That, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know what I'm talking about, I know right? exactly what you're talking about, yes. So trusting in your own resourcefulness and your own knowledge and that the answer of the next step will come in some way. I, I really like this because it's showing the difference between taking some quiet time to reflect and understand and hiding away because of shame. Um, yes. It feels like yes. there's quite, it's two different things. Completely. So I don't think I've ever been ashamed of where I was particularly, but I definitely t took steps back to, um, to think about it and to feel into it and to, uh, to do something with it first. But, um, but often friends have had a very important part to play in, in, in all of that. And I also wanted to add as to, to my whole story of uh, problems in this country because you said, what happened next? And um, yes. so because it, it wasn't like I've landed to, in the UK, it was all very pink right. and lovely and, yeah. and great. In fact, I want to show with you one last um, story which was very traumatic for me and so in a very sh sort of um, short period of time I've experienced a lot of challenges one after another so when I came to England I came to England I decided to come here only for three months so I, I knew that I can go and study English but I also knew that I needed to quickly find some work to pay for, for my bills and for everything so I had very little money I don't even remember how much money I had, but it was probably around like hundred pounds. Right. Oh my goodness. See, yeah. In those days, uh, it was a little bit more than now, but still, it was not not a lot. Not a lot, no. And I stayed for the first week or so with a friend of mine from Poland, who was very sweet and lovely, and um, 
And she had a boyfriend who wasn't so sweet. And when she went to, to work uh, one day, and we we hang out we we hang out to, to, together and we spoke and he was pretty okay and one day he said to me listen you've been here long enough and you're pretty nice why don't we have some sex and I said no I don't feel like it today uh-huh. <laughs> yeah if you, if you don't mind he says he said she doesn't need to find out and I said well um, it's a very awkward position to be in, though, when you're yes. you're kind of staying as a guest with them. It's the only place you've got, and he's oh my goodness, okay. And but I was looking for jobs constantly, and but it, it wasn't very easy for me to find it. And um, my English wasn't wasn't great, you know. I didn't have many skills, and it was quite young and quite inexperienced. But the point the point is the reason why I'm sharing this with you is that that night when she came from work, she was a waitress. Uh, she came home and she said to me, uh, I'm so sorry. He asked me to, for you to leave. You have to leave now. And they lived in Brixton, near Brixton, in the middle of the night. Can you imagine leaving? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, young girl, you know, on her own in Brixton. So I, I basically asked her, could I just stay till the morning and then I will be fine. I'll leave. I had no plan, no money, nowhere to go, you know. So she, so she asked him, she begged him, and he said yes. So I, for the whole night, I prayed, I repeated affirmations, and I visualized. I called on the angels and my guides. I, I already back books. then you had that whole skill set. Yes, yes, and- I already did. And plus, you know, I, I could not imagine anything worse than going back to Poland. Right, so there was, yeah, you couldn't fail at this. No, I, I knew, and, and somehow I had this incredible trust it's going to be okay. I don't know where that trust came from. And then, and in the morning I got up, I left the bag, like my rucksack, big rucksack, I left at, at their place, and can I, can I leave it here? And he said yes. And uh, so he was a little bit nicer already, you know, but I've made a decision I'm leaving. And I went for a walk and I started looking for jobs very purposely, with great focus. Everybody was saying, no, 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 no. And then I finally got lost and I ended up in a helpful job. And for me, a helpful job, you know, Petra, is like, finding myself in heaven (laughs) in paradise because I was already vegetarian you know and I I didn't eat meat and organic food of course I couldn't afford any of that food so I couldn't buy myself anything to eat but I was just so excited to be there and as I was walking out out of the shop the owner of the shop was standing by the door and he said to me hello Uh, Good morning, how are you? And I didn't know how you were meant to behave in in England. So I thought you really meant it. (laughs) It takes a while to realize that. (laughs) I still didn't learn it after so many years. Um, And and he said, how are you? And I I said to him, I'm not very well. And he got quite shocked. And he said, why not? And I said to him, so I was authentic and real. Yeah, I was vulnerable, authentic and real, and I told him, you know, I'm actually looking for a job, I got nowhere to stay, I got no money, and I need to find it today. 
and I'm a bit worried. But, but, then, but you're only doing that because you're desperate, right? So even the adversity of being cornered, like you have no other options, you've got to say that and put yourself out there, right? Which can propel you into something. And so he said, what did he say? So he said, give me a business card. Like, <laughs> I didn't have a business card. I didn't even have a phone number. So I, um, so I, I said, thank you very much. I didn't know who he was. Oh, and then and I left and I was walking down the street. I don't know where I was going. I was just going towards the station. Still trusting. I remember quite vividly, still trusting that he's going to be okay, that I'm being looked after somehow. And he followed me in the car. He caught up with me. He stopped, opened the door, and he said, get in. So I did. And he turned around. He drove back to the place where the his shop was. Yeah. He still didn't say anything. He took me upstairs above the shop to his flat and he opened the door and he says, this is my wife. She's eight months pregnant and she doesn't have enough energy to cook or clean. Could you please go home wherever you live, bring your bag and live with us. You told me you can cook. Come back and cook for us. Oh my God. I just got the shivers. Oh, okay. Oh my God. Amazing. So, so this man, so this is, this is actually, you know, there's many different moments in my life where, where, where my life was shifting. Mm-hmm. But, uh, that, that moment, that was the, the third moment, like, like a, I was parachuted into, into my best possible life. Because you see what happened was I did cook for them for about, couple of weeks and they realized that it's not the kind of food that they eat oh, right. <laughs> because there was lots of cheese and eggs they didn't eat any of this yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it was a macrobiotic food it was all brown rice seaweed and i thought it was, i thought it was disgusting right <laughs> i didn't know how to cook that so they sent me on a course they paid for me so and then after she gave birth to a to to, to her child um the child will be now over 20 actually and um, they left to Devon and they sold the, the, the shop. Um, and But I stayed in that place where I learned uh, how to cook and I kept on studying. I, I was like an assistant in, in the kitchen. And, and then my first ever job actually was a macrobiotic cook and I used to cook for people with cancer who were actually only going through adversity. So you see, I, I went through my own adversity mm-hmm. into becoming quite um, successful macrobiotic cook. Work work with a lot of amazing women, who many of many of uh, of them has used this adversity to to transform their life. So long long winded story, but uh, actually no, the most challenging moments of my life turn out to be the best. Oh, we, could, we literally could stop there. The most challenging moments in our life can, can learn to be the best. And also, you're, you're cooking and you're doing all of that, but you're also learning about people. You're learning about personalities. You're learning about what makes it, it takes to make people thrive, what people don't. You know, you've got that, that observation on. Um, I was uh, similar, worked in uh, as, a, as a youth worker, worked with young offenders, and I cooked in, a, in youth camps, summer youth camps. Ah. I have to say, this was not my forte or anything. But resourcefulness, team building, learning to talk to people. Like it was literally, I felt like I was at the bottom barrel of the ranks, right? Um, what the hell am I doing here? How am I, like, I want to be on the stage, like supporting these people, right? 
Um, yes. But no, you've got to start at the bottom sometimes. But you don't realize that it was in those moments that I observed. I observed the speakers. I observed the kids. I observed the dynamics between people. Um, and it was those things that kind of propelled me. And, and the kids would help me peel potatoes or whatever. And so you've got this wonderful little setup to really know their stories with no agenda whatsoever, to understand who they are, why they are the way that they are, what, you know, where do they want to get to. And as much as I resented and wanted to hate my past as far as being raised in a religious cult, I also can now appreciate that those were the times that I learned to observe cultures, people, dynamics, like all of the stuff that has now given me, uh, you know, skills in doing therapy, coaching, training, speaking in corporates, you know, all that, that sort of thing. But you just, when you're in it, you just don't see that the dots are going to connect. So how do you think people can cultivate that trust? So that trust that I don't understand it now but something's going to, you know, come of this? How do people do it? Well, this is a very good question. Um, actually, the first step is to presuppose straight away, okay, that wherever you are right now, it's a good place to be. And you can tell yourself that and just That's right. begin to because feel it and know it. Assume, if you just basically assume and you say, it feels like shit, yeah. I feel like killing this person, yeah. so painful, but at this very moment, it's exactly where I need to be. But I may need to change it in about five minutes. I may need to divorce this person. I may need to escape the cold I, because he doesn't feel comfortable, doesn't feel like I want to stand here for you know much, much longer. But in this very moment, it's okay. And I've come here for a reason. And so the things that I would, um, I would do is that, you know, when I was sitting on this, um, in the garden, looking at the stars and feeling really sad that my father is still sort of in the middle of the night, not allowing me to sleep, or my mom. I I remember I had a, a, a notebook and I, and, um, and I was writing, I hate this, this is unacceptable, it's fucking shit, sorry for swearing, okay. uh, I, I, do, I don't want this uh, like this anymore. And I kept on writing yeah. all my pain and yeah. all my anger. So it, it was basically like therapy for me. Yeah. But, then, but then I kept on asking myself, if I, if I had a magic wand, what would I change, right? So then I started writing my intentions. Yeah. And uh, where would I want to be five years from now? Where would I want to be 10, 20, 30 years from now? And I kept on visualizing the kind of life that I want. And it definitely wasn't the, the life where I was or even the country where I was. I kept on seeing myself here where I'm right now. So I don't know if, if it was my intention or my looking into the into the future intuitively, but I definitely kept on seeing mm, pictures of where I'm right now. And so... Um, so going from writing down the pain that you have, which is a very t- therapeutic activity, mm-hmm. to then moving into your intention, what would I prefer to create here? If I had a pa- enough power, if I had enough influence, what would I prefer to create here, right? So what so that's do I under- want rather than what do I not want? That's right. That's right. And, you know, uh, the pain of uh, being in a situation that you don't want beautifully shows you where you need to go next. Right. But instead of fighting it and hating it and uh, being very, very angry with the people around you or even with yourself, Mm -hmm. I think having a little bit of compassion 
and suspicion that maybe there is something useful in it or a lesson. Yes? Curiosity. Yeah. Yes. And so asking yourself a question like, if there was a lesson in this for me, what, what could it be? If, it, if I was actually learning from it, in what ways would I be learning and growing and expanding, you know? So I, I have learned in those days that the biggest power lies in the questions you're asking yourself when you're in the midst of drama. So, for instance, if uh, someone is really mistreated by their partner, let's say, and, and one is asking himself, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. There is this sort of spiral taking you down to hell. Because there's you're so many things wrong with you. Well, right. And you're just focusing the lens on what's wrong with you. Yeah, you're not going to feel yes. great after that. Or you ask, well, what have I done wrong? Why me? Okay, so they're all questions that are taking us one way, which is to being a victim, powerless, angry, and, um, you know, I don't know what, what else. And then, um, and then there is another direction that one could actually go. It's like, okay, I'm in this situation. How can I use it to my greatest advantage? Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's so, but so, asking yourself that when you're in it, even if yes. you don't know the answer, but just the question can help you view it in a different way or be open to the answer when it arrives. Correct. And so the power lies in the questions you're asking yourself every single moment, particularly in those moments of difficulties. And, you know, and I know when you are in the middle of drama and pain and your brain doesn't work properly, that's when you need a friend or a coach or a therapist, ideally a friend who is very wise and comes and shakes you out of the trance that you're that you may be in. Because I've been you know, I've been in situations I tell you where I was entranced by my pain. Of course. There's a weird sort of comfort in just sitting in it for a while and feeling poor me and if you were in this situation you would feel like this and it's so bad and you know, there's a weird sort of like, oh yeah. And I tell you about uh, one of those moments because I just remembered it so vividly. This is a bit personal, but um, something happened in my family. And um, my brother did did something which was very dangerous, very dangerous for my whole family. And I I received a message from from my mom about what happened. And, And when I heard this, I was so upset because I couldn't help her. I was in a, in a so many miles away. You couldn't help her financially, and she was in great danger. So I, I, I kept on repeating out loud, why did he do this? He shouldn't have done it. He shouldn't have done it. And I kept on repeating, thinking my brother, he shouldn't have done it, he shouldn't have done it, he shouldn't have done it. And then my boyfriend then, my ex-boyfriend, he, he I think he even physically put me against the wall and he shaken me like this or even like gently you know hit me yeah, yeah. and he said stop it and i and i got a bit shocked yeah so i was crying and shouting and screaming shouldn't have done it he shouldn't have done it and he said stop it maybe he should have done it Maybe it was all meant to happen. He said something like that, right? Maybe there's something good in it. And because he said that and he's taken me out of this drama, out of this trance that we go into when we, um, why did he do it? He shouldn't have done it. He shouldn't have done it. Our anger, our fight or Um, flight response. Yeah. But he was quite violent with it. He was, and he he basically took me out of it and, and I woke up from this trance and I was thinking, 
Well, maybe he should have done it. And if he has done it and there was a reason for it, what was the reason? And so a great solution came immediately after that. Someone called me a friend and she offered help. But if I was in the, in the drama, I would have never picked up the phone. Or if you had, you would have repeated the drama. Or you would, yeah, yeah, you, you just keep repeating the negative message of why he did it when actually that's totally out of your control at that point anyway. Exactly, exactly. So, so when so you've asked me this beautiful question, when we are in the midst of this, this pain, what do we do? We need to comfort ourselves somehow, yeah, but um, take, take ourselves out of the drama, go for a walk. Go and meditate, do some dancing, yes. Move your body, change your state, love that. Yes, change your state, speak to a friend. But um, but most most importantly, it's what you do inside your head. And um, just assume from the start that where you are right now, it's, it's actually good because it's preparing you for your next step of expansion, for your next stage of growth. It's so interesting that the more that happens at each little stage, the more confidence you have in that process, so that each challenge that comes, you then look at it in that way. And I was actually thinking the other day, someone asked me, uh, what would you change? What, what advice would you give to your younger self? And Lovely. what would that you was change? My question. Go. <laughs> Do you know I wouldn't change anything? I would not actually change anything. I would say 99% of the things I have gone through, I'm feeling grateful for. And um, and also I was thinking, you know, um, what advice would I give to myself? Just do what I did. Just listen to myself. And probably the only thing that I would say to my younger self is, don't worry about so much about what people think about you. Because if I didn't worry about what people think of me, I would, I would have written this book a lot sooner. Because you've been doing this content, you've been supporting people through this process for years, right? Well, more than 10 years. I, I've had this exercise. Uh, the, the exercise was actually given to me during one of the sessions with one of my clients. And um, I've been using it with many, many people for years and years and years, but I, I wasn't writing this book of mine because I was scared of what people think of me and would they judge me, would they judge my language, would they judge anything about me. But I was fooling myself that I wasn't scared, which we often do, and that's a conversation for another I time, so. <laughs> I think. Um, you know, we often are we are afraid, but we don't know we are afraid, and we we have this those excuses. I'm tired. I'm busy. I can't do it right now. Yeah. And we we procrastinate and we tell ourselves those long-winded stories. Amazing. So I did the same thing. But now um, I have written it. It expanded me. It wasn't easy. Of course not. Yeah. No, no. It's easy. Writing a book in itself is a bit of an advert adversity, actually. <laughs> yeah. The whole self-doubt and the discipline yes. and everything that you need in order to bring your voice and your 10 years of work into sort of one solid form. And do you know, I, Petra, I want to say one more thing. I've always thought over the years that I am not perfect yet. I need to go to another course. I need to fix myself a little bit more. You know, you probably know what I'm talking about. And so I... When you're I, perfect, then you'll do the thing? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And and what I came to the conclusion not so long ago, actually, is that I'm not um, a person to be fixed. My clients are not there to be fixed either. They are treasures to be discovered. That's so profound. 
you know, and um, so if you, if even your life is difficult, even even though you've had some challenges and, and and really great pain, you're still lovable, you're still perfect. The situation, it's shit, but you're not really unlovable. It's, it's, you're exactly where you need to be. If it's uncomfortable, you change it. You move yourself to the next stage, but first accept and love that situation because it's taking you to the next level of expansion. Love that so much. So before I ask my final question, uh, where can people find you if they want to get the book, if they want to do some transformational coaching with you, where can they find you? Right. So my website address is www.goshagona.com and it's spelled, will you put it in the link? I'll definitely put it in the notes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's Gosha, G-O-S-I-A-G-O-R-N-A.com. You can buy the book there. Lovely. You can also listen to some of my uh, recorded videos on YouTube. If you put my name, you will find this. You can I can also send you a link. Um, and also I have um, a group on a YouTube, uh, sorry, on a, on a Facebook called the uh, uh, expansion tribe the expansion tribe yeah. where i regularly do free webinars okay. so for, for people who read the book but they want to understand and work with me personally it's free then you can also find me there so facebook um youtube and, and my website and i and i run courses regularly this year i've taken a bit time off from running courses because i've been very busy last year and um, but um i'm also running the the master classes um so if you have a group of friends and you are considering yourself a, as a change maker um a very impactful being that you want to step into your power more and shine more brightly then I would be very happy to work with you or with, with your group of friends. So exciting. So, so much going on for you. Um, and so my final question is, what's the next stage of impact that you want to have in the world? Well, um, I'm actually taking my book and I'm going to travel this year. Um, and I'm going to go around Europe, but I'm also going to Australia and maybe to New Zealand in, uh, in November. And uh, wherever I am with, with my book and with my work, I would love to touch those change makers, those leaders who then will continue helping others. And um, I have, um, you know... I've planned to write more books, you know, expansion game for leaders, expansion game for aspiring writers. So there's a lot of uh, things planned. And I'm also going to uh, run a course with the lady, with my writing coach, for people who want to write the book. So so that's coming up. There's lots of things coming up um, in the very near future. And it's all very, very exciting. So many exciting things. Um, I've learned so much, as I usually do on these types of conversations. Gosha, thank you so much for your time. We'll put all of that into the show notes. And I think we're going to have to have you on again at some point just to go oh, further. Please. Let's go deeper. We could go all day. But for now, thank you so much. It's been my great pleasure. And I'm so much looking forward to playing with you some more.